morning. How's everyone this morning? Let's all stand and uh, read God's word to each other as we begin our worship this morning. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Siron like the young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned, King forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Amen. And many of us have come into this place and are feeling now that we do not glorify God as we ought. But in his grace, he brings us in and he gives us a chance again today to lift him up. So let's do that together. Let's lift him up today. Sing this together, crown him with many crowns. Yeah. 
Before the lion and the lamb 
want to welcome everybody to Hebron Baptist Church this morning. Thank you for choosing to worship God with us this morning. Um, we exist for the purpose of helping you to make your next step toward Christ. And uh, whether that's uh, coming to know him as your personal savior or perhaps uh, through baptism, uh, also we have life groups and D groups to help you grow in your life toward Jesus Christ, whatever your next step is, we are here to help you make that step. Um, if you are a visitor with us today, we invite you to fill out a connect card. Uh, there are a couple of ways, there are two ways you can do that. Uh, on the pew in front of you, on the back of the pew in front of you, there is a, a couple of QR codes. One of those, if you uh, scan it, it will bring up a connect card that you can fill out, and uh, that way uh, you would be able to, uh, to do that here at your seat while you're uh, during the service. And then following that, if you would, right outside these double doors at the center here and immediately to the left is our uh, Next Steps desk, and we would ask you to stop there, especially if you are a first-time visitor after filling out that Connect card. Uh, we have a gift for you. If you are not uh, one of those techie people that uses uh, QR codes and all that sort of thing, we do have uh, visitors cards that uh, you can fill out with a pen and paper and uh, they are at the next step desk as well and you can do it that way if you prefer. So uh, anyway, we invite you if you are a, a visitor to fill out that connect card and let us know who you are so that we can connect with you in a very personal way. Um, we are going to pray, pray here in just a minute, uh, but in preparation for that, I uh, want you to think about something, if you would. Uh, Daniel, when he was uh, exiled in Babylon, uh, prayed three times a day. He prayed at 9 o'clock in the morning, at noon, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And that is very significant. Uh, of course, the, the, uh, the temple in Jerusalem uh, had been destroyed. The uh, sacrifices and so forth that the Jews participated in were, were not being conducted at that time. And of course, Daniel was, was there in Babylon, captive in Babylon, and not able to attend. Even if the temple was there, he would not have been able to attend. And so uh, he prayed those three times a day. Uh, it's significant that it, when the temple was in operation, there were, there were daily sacrifices. There was a sacrifice at 9 a.m. and there was a sacrifice at 3 p.m., two of the very times that Daniel chose to pray. And that tells me that Daniel viewed his prayers as sacrifices and offerings to God. And so as we pray this morning, I would like for you to think about the fact that your prayers, whether we're praying here corporately together or if you pray individu or praying individual in your own prayer closet, that you are making an offering to God. And so join me this morning as we offer to God our prayer. Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to gather here together as a, as a church and to to worship and praise you uh, as a people. And Father, we, we pray that as uh, we think about 
those things that are upon our heart, we pray that our prayer might be an offering acceptable to you. Father, we think this morning of our core value of intentional discipleship. And on uh, last Sunday and this Sunday, as we uh, think about launching our life groups and our D groups, Father, we, we just ask that uh, you would use them to help us to grow in discipleship. Father, we realize that our responsibility is to each other, to help each other to grow. And so, Father, we pray that you would use these uh, systems that we have in place in order to help each one of us to grow and to help our brothers and sisters to grow in Christ as well. This morning, we also pray for Redeeming Life Church, and we pray for them as our, uh, as our partner, that uh, you would bless them this morning particularly as they are gathering together to worship and praise you as well. And we pray for uh, Pastor Brian as he leads that group. And Father, we pray that you would continue to grow them, uh, not only individually, but also in number. And Father, uh, as we think also about the fact that we have deacon elections coming up next week, uh, Father, help us to begin to think even now about who you would have to lead us in the, in the position of deacon here at Hebrew Baptist Church. And Father, we pray that as we elect deacons next week, that those people that you have chosen to be in that position would be the ones who, uh, number one, we, we nominate and that we elect and that we place in those positions. And Father, help them to lead our congregation as deacons in the ways that you would have us to go. And Father, we know that we have failed you in so many ways. Uh, we have not grown as a people as you should. We don't always show love and support and affection for each other as we should. But Father, we pray that uh, you would continue to encourage us and help us to be the people that you would have us to be. For we ask these things in Jesus Christ, in his name, amen. All right, we have a scripture to read this morning to you from John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Isn't that good news? Let's stand to our feet and let's sing together the good news that we have a great foundation in Jesus Christ and that we can trust him fully as our Savior. Yeah. 
chapter 2 and verse 8. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible and follow along in the translation that I will be reading from, it's page 1090, or 1090. We are walking through these first two, three chapters of Revelation as we look at the message that Jesus gave seven churches of the ancient world. We see the overall message of these letters is to be faithfully enduring for him. Faithful endurance is the call of the Christian. And we looked last week that we should not lose our first love, our passion for Christ, our passion for the Great Commission, the passion for Jesus. And today, we're going to look at a church that Jesus commended. And as we do, we're going to look to find that we should be commended to be faithful in persecution. That even in persecution and difficult times, we must remain faithful. So let's 
read in God's Word and beginning in chapter 8 of verse, <laughs> chapter 2 of ver verse 8. Write to the angel of the church of Smyrna, thus says the first and last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you crown of life yet anyone who has ears to hear, hear listen to what the spirit says to the churches the one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death let us pray heavenly father this message is for us today just as it was written to the church of the first century heavenly father i understand clear-minded and clear-eyed that when we gather to hear your word there we are in the midst of spiritual warfare so I know Lord that Satan wants to snatch the truth from our minds he wants to deceive our ears he wants to distract us by the world but today may you and your spirit protect your word that it would find its place hidden in our heart that we might grow to be more like your son Jesus we ask this in his precious name amen Tertullian a leader of the church in the first, second and third centuries he said at one point we multiply meaning we as Christians we multiply whenever we are mowed down by you the blood of Christians is seed. This is a quote that has spawned the phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The Bible shows us and tells us, and we can see anecdotally in history, that when persecution comes, the world would think the message of Jesus would die, but by his power, his grace, and the perseverance of Christians, it multiplies tenfold. Nothing can stop the word of the Lord. And we know, though, that Christians will experience persecution more and more as the day draws near, Jesus says. One example of that is Necti, Aiden, and Erger Yusser, two Turkish Christians who had converted from Islam who began to work with a German citizen translating the Bible into the Turkish language. Where did they reside? The city of Izmir, the modern-day city of Smyrna. In this, we see what happened to them. They worked and gave their life to, to come to Christ. They, they faithfully served him. They worked on this translation until one day, three Turkish teenagers or youth came into the office saying that they wanted to learn about Christianity but instead killed them all. When we hear and talk 
and think about our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. They give their entire lives for the sake of the gospel. But when they asked Nekti's wife, Samiz, about what happened to her husband and their friends, she told Christianity Today that she has no regrets about their ministry, but had seen 15 people come to Christ in three years while they were there. She says, I see my family as victorious. Friends, the message of the letter to Smyrna to us is that we must trust in Jesus, that no matter what persecution comes, we can be reminded we have victory in Jesus. Smyrna, which you'll see here on the map, hopefully, is just above Ephesus. Now, this map, uh, I can't see Patmos, where John is exiled. It's just off the map to the west there. But we talked about Ephesus last week. Smyrna is right there in the coast. It is very flourishing trade. Look at it next to the harbor there, a beautiful city. In 26 AD, though, Smyrna was competed against 11 other cities to house a new temple that deified the emperor Tiberius of Rome. Needless to say, they were very cozy with Rome, that they were allies to the nth degree. And in this, we know that it was not a healthy or very good place for Christians. However, we do know that the church in Smyrna had had survived, had persevered, had grown from the writings of um, that we learned from later that the church had maybe been founded by Paul and his ministry to Ephesus, as you see, it's just south of that and could have uh, founded uh, from Christians there. But Ignatius' letter to Smyrna, we learned that the church was already well organized. It had elders and it had deacons and it was faithful. But Smyrna was facing significant persecution. This letter and the second to last letter in the series of seven, you see, Jesus doesn't call these churches to repent. He calls them to encourage them. To encourage them because he, a faithful friend, knows their suffering. He, Jesus, knows and encourages them to say there is ultimate victory in me if you follow me even to the point of death he said you will not face the second death what is this rested in well the first beginning of the letter and you can see a pattern of these letters that there is a characteristic that Jesus begins the letter as his own characteristic why the church should be faithful and what was this he says thus says the first and the last Jesus identifying himself as God, that he is fully God, that he is the one above all things. But he also goes on to say the one who was dead and came to life. Friends, Jesus is telling that church and us today that he is the position of authority. He is the message of encouragement during difficult times because he has the power over sin and death. He has the power, as we talked a few weeks ago, over the grave and who we know gets rewarded with heaven. 
Jesus is the first and last and the conqueror of death. Therefore, the church at Smyrna, though they were persecuted, had the hope that the sovereign God of the universe was encouraging them and would give them victory, one that would lead to eternal life. And friends, isn't this the message that we need to hear? Isn't this the message that a persecuted Christian, one of us that is facing suffering, one who might be afraid to speak or work for Jesus, one of us that we know we're facing brushback, we need to be reminded that our ultimate victory is in the hands of Jesus and not of man. Applying to our fears, we must apply the knowledge that Jesus is bigger than death. That Jesus gives something to the Christian that should give us hope and should give us courage. That the worst thing anyone could do to us here on this earth is to kill us. And to the Christian, it's the best thing that could ever happen because we meet Jesus. And if that is what is applied to our fears, then we know that we can be bold in our faith, we can persevere to the end, and when harm comes our way, we have an encouragement to follow Jesus. Now, maybe you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, and you don't know truth. But friend, I encourage you to look at Jesus and his glory. That Jesus, just look at what he did for other people. Look at what Jesus did by dying on the cross, a perfect man who had no charge against him, yet died on the cross so that those who were sinful would be set free. Look at Jesus who died to protect others, that he is able to save. Believe in Jesus as Savior. Trust him. Continue to see that he is the only power to save. And the only hope that any of us have over the power of sin and death is the one who is the first and last and the one who was dead and came to life. And to know this, ask this question. Whose hands do you want your life in? Friends, I answer the one who came to dead, death to life. As we hide these truths in our heart and understand that Jesus is bigger than even death, let's be courageous. Let us trust and follow Jesus just like the church at Smyrna. In this passage, we're going to see four truths about following Jesus. Jesus. Some of these are difficult, but it's a challenge that encourage us that the church at Smyrna did that we should remind ourselves today. So number one, if you're taking notes, following Jesus will cost you your comfort. Following Jesus will cost you your comfort. In verse 9, Jesus says, I know your affliction and poverty but you were rich. The church at Smyrna is reminded of its affliction and stark poverty have not gone unnoticed by Jesus, that he is fully aware of the pressures to be faithful. Linking affliction and poverty, he saw these coming together. 
in that day in Smyrna to be faithful to Jesus would be ostracized by everyone, the Roman sympathizers and the Jewish faithful. That if you were a businessman or one who grew up in Smyrna, you would have lost all business contacts, you would have lost your family, you would have lost every bit of opportunity to economically flourish. Their poverty was a material poverty. But what did Jesus say? You are rich. He knows that it is costing them their comfort to follow him. But he is reminding them that in him they are rich beyond measure. And maybe there's a message to you today that you're suffering and enduring economic or physical or religious or social opposition. That because of this, your comfort is being taken away. That you may have been struggling because of inflation or job loss or the economy. Some of you have chosen to be faithful instead of win at all cost mentality. Some of you are choosing to invest your money morally instead of trying to get ahead immorally. And Jesus says, I know you're suffering and what it's costing you to be comfortable. But Jesus says, we are rich in him. Jesus promises this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich? Jesus constantly keeps pointing us to not look at our circumstances, our pocketbook, our, our, our world, our comfort to value whether we are valuable, we look to him. And in him, we are rich beyond measure. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded that we are rich in Jesus. In West Texas, during the Depression, there was a farmer who was struggling his whole life to keep the farm afloat. He was doing everything he can to, from sheep to cattle, all sorts of different things, and he was struggling over and over and over again. He was dirt poor. And yet, one day, someone came by, a seismographic crew came and examined his land. A thousand feet below the surface, there was oil. Oil wells that began to, they found, were producing 80,000 barrels a day, and even 30 years later, was able to produce over 125,000 barrels a day. Mr., th this rancher, he understood, he lived in poverty, but he didn't know he was rich didn't know what he had as a resource brothers and sisters it's fair to say that we are a lot like the rancher living in some ways spiritual poverty not reminding ourselves of the richness that we have in Christ 
that we have the words of life in his words, that we have the, the, the comforter, the spirit with us, that we have the power of God with us to do immeasurably above all we can ask and think when we are faithful to God. We have resources beyond measure. And it's a warning to us that we trade our comfort in Christ for comfort in this world. Often, we as Christians are seduced by comfort and doing what is comfortable and not what is doing in our rich treasure in Christ. Maybe you have a job that keeps you from leading your family, participating in your church, spiritually guiding your children because you are seduced by a larger paycheck. Maybe living more modestly, trusting God for stewardship, time to serve your family, participating in church. Maybe that would be a, a route that is, allows you to be more faithful. Friends, money cannot be our savior. And comfort can't either. There's only one who bled and died for you, and the other will always take. I'm afraid as Western Christians, we choose comfort over faithfulness too often. We won't serve in the church, we won't tithe, we won't go on mission, we deny calls to ministry, we neglect the standing for biblical principles, caring more about our bank account than obedience. The church in Smyrna was commended for their faithfulness despite their poverty because they knew their comfort was not the be-all, end-all. Jesus was. Can you say that you're being faithful even when it's not comfortable? Number two, following Jesus will keep you from being popular. It will keep you from being popular. The rest of verse 9, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Jesus commends the church for being faithful despite being the, the object of slander and hated by both the Romans and the Jews. Now, Smyrna had uh, taken the side of Rome of, uh, during the Carthaginian Empire of the, early, of the late B.C. era, and Smyrna had placed itself squarely on the side of Rome. But also, there was a large Jewish population there, actively hostile to Christians, and it made it exceptionally difficult to live as a Christian in Smyrna. We know that Christians have stemmed both from their conviction that worship of a Galilean peasant who had died a criminal's death would blaspheme and apparent success and the apparent success of Christians evangelizing God-fearing Jewish men had caused a lot of ruckus and uproar. We see that this, this persecution lasted from the first century into the second century. Polycarp, one of the early church fathers, was lived in Smyrna, was the bishop of Smyrna, and he said that those who did not acknowledge Caesar as Lord, uh, as a matter of fact, he was called to acknowledge Caesar as Lord and was put to death by fire. 
It is written that Polycarp confessed that as Christians, there was a multitude of heathen and Jews living in Smyrna that cried out with an uncontrollable wrath. So we see that the people of Smyrna were struggling because of the accusations directed at the believers there. Jesus said that these Jews were not true Jews, they were from the synagogue of Satan. They didn't truly believe what they meant. They had been capsized and captured by the satanic thoughts. They were working against the very Jewish faith that they professed. That Jesus said that these per persecutors were probably bringing you much harm. Friends, we might feel the same way today. People who might speak truths, untruths, slander about us because of our faithfulness to Jesus. We live in a day where you probably are more likely to at least be looked down upon for your Christian beliefs. You might be left out of friend groups. You might be put in a dis position of discomfort. You might be ridiculed or shamed by your beliefs, even by people the most closest from you. Jesus says, I love you. And even though people persecute you and call you bad things or speak untruths about you, it's not because of you. It's because of me. Your faithfulness to Jesus is what's bringing this on. And Jesus says, you need to be faithful because it happened to me. It's going to happen to you. Jesus says in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, understand it happened to me before I hated before it hated you if you were the world the world would love you as your own however because you are not of the world but I have chosen you out of it the world hates you remember the word I spoke to you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will also persecute you if they kept my word they will also keep yours but they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they did not know the one who sent me. I remember going door to door to share the gospel, and I remember going up with my friend one day, and we went up to the door, and we knocked, and this man came to the door, and, and we knew right away, he listened to what we said for a few minutes, but we could tell he was disinterested, and we had gotten halfway through like our second or third sentence, and bam, the door closed in our face which, by the way, has actually happened a lot less often than you would think when you're doing this, but it happens. My friend said something to me that day because I was really discouraged. I was really upset. One, for the man's lostness. Two, for the rudeness of the door being slammed in my face. He said, Sean, remember, they're, reject they're rejecting Jesus, not you. And what a reminder to us that when we are rejected and persecuted, that it's because of our faith in Jesus. What an encouragement to us. Because if we are being rejected, it's because we're, we're actually reflecting Jesus in our lives. We should know that this is going to happen. We should know that this is going to happen to us. If people call Jesus the prince of demons, imagine we know what they're going to say about us. We can't grow discouraged. 
Jesus' point is clear. If we are faithful to follow Christ, we, cannot ex we can expect opposition. It even may come to those who even say they love us. So I say this, brother and sister, remember that we know that we should be following Jesus even if it means us losing popularity. I say right now, those of you who are students, grades 6 through 12, those who are in elementary school, those of you who are in college, young people, I want you to hear this. Dear friends, please don't trade being popular for being faithful for Jesus. Don't avoid ridicule by avoiding talking to Jesus, about Jesus. Don't avoid being ridiculed by trying to live in a way like the world. Don't stay quiet so that you might keep friends. Instead, speak the truth in love. Friends, I am afraid for you, and I pray for you students, to know that you can band together and that Jesus is saying to you, stay faithful in me. There's pressure on young men and women today to follow the ways of the world, for, women, for young girls especially to act a certain way, to fall in a certain way, one that is detrimental to your soul and your heart. Some would even say the feminist fatal fantasy that you should give up your faith in your family to, to get ahead into passionate workplace. But friends, again and again, Jesus is saying, don't be popular in the world. Be faithful to me. There's pressure on your generation to fit in rather than be faithful. And I implore you to stand up for Jesus because Jesus is saying to you, I know you, and I know your faithfulness, and I know what it costs you, and I am with you, and I am proud of you. Friends, would you rather be popular now or receive a well done from Jesus? Number three, following Jesus, you will be tested through suffering. Boy, we like to wish these verses were not in our Bible. But in verse 10, Jesus says, Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. The church here is told to not be afraid. We've heard that already here in Revelation. Don't be afraid. Jesus specifically tells Christians, don't be afraid that you're about to suffer because you're going to. In my name, if you're persecuted, if you're lied about, we know what's next, that you will suffer. Verse 10 comes from that idea in verse 9, but Jesus says, don't be afraid. He anticipates it. Jesus promises it. He says, look, the devil... In the Greek there is Diabolos, the accuser, is working to throw some of you in prison. Meaning that the suffering that's happening, he is the puppet master behind the scenes wanting to sift you and test your faith. We know from the, the Bible's teachings on this that we know that when God allows this, 
that God is allowing our faith to be tested is so that we will remain faithful and be stronger on the other side. And Jesus is the cheerleader, the encourager, the one saying, hey, look, I want you to remain faithful because suffering is coming. He even says that you will have affliction for 10 days. Now, we, we don't know exactly what, if they, they've only got a 10-day sentence or what. We believe that the understanding of this is that there is an indeterminate amount of time well, we know that these Christians are going to suffer because if this letter was written in the mid to late first century, we see that Polycarp and other Christians were killed in the second century. So we know that suffering doesn't have an expiration date. We know that Jesus promises those who suffer will receive joy. And he says, don't be afraid. You have me. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, he says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. We know that we will not expect, we should expect persecution, and we will expect suffering even when we do good things for God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Jesus is telling us whether we do bad or whether we do good, suffering is going to come. This is not karma. This is what happens to Christians. We will suffer. Many are worried about the future of the church, specifically here in America. We know that suffering will come to Christians. We see this here in Smyrna in the, in the first and second century, that those who will oppose those who love Jesus. Right now I'm following a, uh, following a court uh, battle in Finland where one of the uh, MPs are being brought up on charges again and again. It keeps getting denied but because they shared the Christian faith on sexuality. That they, this MP was found, guilt, uh, found not guilty, in other words, supporting their free speech, and then again, the pr prosecutors drug them back into court again, saying, you should have never put this tweet out. We understand and know that we see this coming in our country. If we are Christians, we will be looked at as bigoted, dangerous, and evil. We'll be slandered as anti-choice, anti-diversity, anti-gay, anti-inclusion, and anti-intolerance. We can anticipate economic boycotts, governmental restrictions. We know that in some cases, we see and we know around the world, our brothers and sisters are being put in jail and put to death. So what is our response? Exactly what Jesus tells us. Here in Revelation 2. Don't be afraid. Expect it. Receive it from the hands of a sovereign God to test, to prune, to refine your faith and show the glory of God. Remember what James said in chapter 1. Consider it a great joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you might be made mature and complete lacking nothing 
Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded and be prepared that suffering will come and that we can rest in the hands of Jesus, that that time of testing will produce good in our souls, which leads us to the good news. Number four, following Jesus will bring great reward. What did Jesus say at the end of verse 10? Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Look at these wonderful words of encouragement to us. The wonderful encouragement to the ancient church. Jesus says, Jesus does not say, hey, tribulation is coming, problems is coming, suffering is coming, suck it up deal with it no jesus isn't saying that jesus is saying that the men may kill us he may even murder our bodies but what happens to the christian instant heaven jesus says those who faithfully endure what will you receive the crown of life what is this? This mentions and understands the, the word crown is Stephanos, which means a victor's crown. This is a crown to one who, who wins the race, who, who shows the, that they have come out on top, the ones who has finished and received the prize. Jesus is saying, from me, you will receive this crown, this victory of life. You might lose in life, you might lose your life, but you won't lose eternal life because it's in my hands and I will give it to you. In James chapter 1 verse 12, Jesus says this, or James teaches this, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown is mentioned multiple times in the Bible, and it's instructive that we are aware that even in persecution and trial, that we will receive the crown of righteousness and life from Jesus. Therefore, we will suffer, we will endure, because we know the prize that awaits. The crown of life that is mentioned in uh, Revelation chapter 2, the crown of righteousness, which is in 2 Timothy, the crown of glory in 1 Peter, the crown of gold in Revelation chapter 4, the crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the crown of incorruption in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in each and every way holds us to the promise of Jesus that he has been conquered over death and now is alive and gives it to us that we will win and he goes even further the one who is conquering will avoid the second death the bible teaches that the second death is those as we die this earth we don't face the second death what is that the second death of the lake of fire the only way to avoid this is to believe on jesus and to believe in him and be faithful to him unto death Brothers and sisters, just for a moment, can you put yourself in the room of the church at Smyrna? Can you feel the downhardness, a small lamp-lit room 
where once lively Christians came to worship. But they look around the room and there's a whole lot less of them. Some have fallen away due to persecution. Some are simply just gone, arrested, exiled, executed. Some, if you were there, have even risked your lives even to get to the room there that day to be together. In the dim light, the pastor shuffles up and says, I've received a letter from Jesus. Listen. And as he whispers the message, that church that day hears this. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Brothers and sisters, maybe you need that encouragement today. Maybe you need to hear the words of Jesus. Maybe you are going through persecution and staying faithful. Maybe you need to hear this encouraging word from Jesus himself. Be faithful, and I will give you the crown of life. Brothers and sisters, maybe this is a message to you to examine your heart to ask, are you being faithful now? Or do you constantly choose comfort or popularity and acceptance over faithfulness to Christ? Smyrna didn't have to repent. Maybe we do. Maybe you do. Brother and sister, Jesus says, be faithful. I mentioned Polycarp earlier. One of the early church fathers, and in the second century, he was the bishop there in Smyrna. And we said that he was asked to reject Jesus and say, just say, Caesar is Lord. Or you're going to be burned to death. The church at Smyrna wrote down this account and this is what he said the fire you threaten burns but an hour and is quenched after a little for you do not know the fire that is coming of judgment and everlasting punishment that is laid upon for the ungodly but why do you delay come do what you will Polycarp Faced ultimate death to not deny Jesus. They gave him the opportunity to recant again, but instead he prayed, Lord God Almighty, Father of thy beloved and blessed servant Jesus Christ, through whom we have received full knowledge of thee, the God of angels and powers and all creation of the whole race of the righteous to live in thy presence. I bless you because you have deemed me worthy of this day and hour to take my part in the number of the martyrs and the cup of Christ. 
for resurrection to eternal life of soul and body and the immortality of the Holy Spirit among whom may I be received in your presence as rich and acceptable sacrifice just as you have prepared and relieved beforehand and fulfilled you are the true God without falsehood for this and for everything I praise thee I bless thee I glorify thee through the eternal and heavenly high priest Jesus Christ thy beloved servant thou whom be glory and the Holy Spirit both now and to the age to come amen they took Polycarp and they were going to tie him to the post so that he would not run out and he said there's no reason to tie me because I will stay here for Jesus and they lit the fire and he burned to death brothers and sisters the same truth to the church at Smyrna in the first and the second century is the same that is true to the 21st century stay faithful to Christ he is with us remain faithful to follow him let us pray Heavenly Father, thank you for these encouraging words to us in a day that we need to hear it and a time that we need to be encouraged. And I pray that this is an encouragement, Lord, to those who are suffering now. And I pray, God, it's an encouragement and challenge to us who have traded faithfulness for the world. I pray, Lord, Jesus, that you would remind us with hope and that, Lord, if there's someone here that does not know you, may they gaze upon you with love and wonder and you, they change their life, and that they will trust in you today and be saved, and that they too may know that you, Jesus, will be faithful to them through endurance of this life, but more importantly, the life to come. We're thankful for you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we've heard from God's word that we can trust in him, would you stand together and let's sing these words to one another that we do in fact have a steady anchor in Christ, no matter what happens. Just the standard here. 
Who's that person who God has strategically brought into your life that he wants you to be an influencer that they might enter into the kingdom? And I think it may not happen overnight, but I think it's just being intentional. And we're all called to figure out how do we leverage our influence? I think God is always asking, like, hey, what's in your hand? Like, who is in your sphere of influence that maybe God may want to use you to invite into the kingdom? I think about Acts chapter number four, where, um, where God, you know, tells Moses, like, what's in your hand? And that's, that's always just been so impactful for me because I think, yes, that has to do with your gifts and ability, but it also has to do with your influence. And so for me, I always just look at it like in each season, like, okay, what has God put in my hand in this season that I could use for his glory? And, and that's the reality. Like, I think if we really understand, like, as we embrace the reality, like, we did not save ourselves. It wasn't one day Milton woke up and said, you know what, I am tired of being against God. No, it was God pursuing me. It was God relentlessly going after me and through his kindness, making me aware of his gift of salvation that brought that about. And I think as, as we rest under that reality, I think it really frees us up to know, like you're right, like me having this conversation, the pressure is not whether they say yes to the Lord. That's not on me. My, the, the obedience and faithfulness for me is, will I open my mouth? Well, he's not asking me to save them. He's asking me, hey, Milton, will you take a risk to be a little socially awkward, if you will, to have a conversation about this person's eternal condition. I'm the, I'm, I'm, I am also the one who's going to draw them to me, or, man, I, I am in control of all that part. The, the faithfulness on your part is, notice when you open your mouth. And when you think about that, it's scary still, but it really is pretty easy. I'm Milton Campbell. I ran track and field and a world champion and world record holder. I have my one, so who's your one? What a great reminder for us to pray who God has strategically put in our life that we might impact them for the gospel. That's what our chair is here to remind us. Hopefully you've got your one that you will bring, pray for, share the gospel with, and bring to church one Sunday. Maybe next Sunday is the time to do that. So we hope that you would be looking to your one and encouraging them in Christ. A couple quick things before we uh, go to the Lord and give an offering. Uh, first of all, guests, thank you for being here. If it's your first time, make sure, as Pastor Al said, go to the double doors to the left, uh, fill out your Connect card, and you have a gift waiting for you. We're glad that you're here. We hope that you connect. We hope your next step from here is, if you don't have a church home and looking for a church home, is uh, here, but also into a life group or to a D group as you encourage and walk in your faith. For those of you who are members, we hope that you are in part of a life group or a D group. Those life groups have mostly all starting either this week or very soon. And so we hope that you do, if you don't have a life group, go to the Next Steps desk. They'll help you find one. And if you'd like to be put in a three-person or three- or four-person D group, uh, you can go to the Next Steps desk as well and fill out your availability. And we'll try to connect you with other believers that you can go in the Word together, pray together, and be held accountable. That might be your next step that you take today. Now, our next step, uh, one thing that we want to do here this week is an opportunity to impact our community. This next Friday, so in six days, no, five days from now, uh, Friday night will be the Connor Homes, uh, High School Homecoming Parade. We're inviting kids of all ages as well as students to come alongside and ride our float and throw out candy and say that we're supporting our community. Now, the parade starts at 530. 
Uh, we'll have to load the trailer. We'll, we'll get the details for sure nailed down tomorrow, but we want you to come and be a part of that. It might be around 4 or 4.30. If you can't come till right after 5, you'll have to meet us across the street, but we want you to come and be a part of that. It's next Friday, uh, the Connor High School Homecoming Parade. Kids, students, uh, from 1 to 12th grade. If you have a child that's pre-K or under, we'll need you as an adult to ride with them for safety reasons, but if you'd like to, we're going to need some adults to ride as well as uh, walk along just for safety as well, but we hope that you can come support us as we do that Friday. Now next Sunday, there's a big uh, day on tap. Uh, if you would like to know more about our church, just come to know about us. We're starting a new members class next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and uh, we'll meet uh, three Sundays in a row. If you're interested in this, uh, please go to the Next Steps desk to get your information and all that you need to do to be a part of this class. It will start next Sunday, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. As, we, as one, maybe you need to know more about our church, but also to fold you into our church family here at Hebron Baptist Church. Also that day, we're encouraging you to wear your college or NFL gear to next Sunday morning uh, as we kind of the, the NFL, NFL season is kicking off NCAA kicked off this this weekend I'm not going to talk to you about what happened in Nashville and UVA but we'll talk about uh, other things uh, but next week as we support or begin that uh, time of year bring your wear your colors next Sunday morning uh, and then also it will be deacon election we will take your nomination so be praying and thinking about a man that you think is a, have a, has a servant's heart, represents Christ, that you think should be a deacon here at Hebron Baptist Church. And then, that afternoon, we're having our churchwide picnic. So it's a big Sunday. Next Sunday, a great time to invite your one to church and to get to know Hebron Baptist Church. All right, as we've worshiped together through song and through word and through prayer, let's worship as we give. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. For all the ways that you bless us through your son, Jesus, who gives us life after death, that we know that all things belong to him. And now is an opportunity of worship that we give of offering today uh, freely with a cheerful heart for the cause of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless the giver, bring those to obedience in this matter, but also that you will multiply the gifts given today so that we can do things more like reaching out in our community, like our parade function, our, our, our activities, our church picnic, the things that we do, that you would allow us to do ministry together. So Lord, thank you for the blessings you've given us and help us to be good stewards of it. And Lord, help us as we give as an opportunity of thankfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll go where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. All your ways are good, all your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone. I am that. I am above my heart. 
feet and sing.